0: you guys. Well, how are we doing? It's vacation weekend again, right? Please give me a routine. Um, We are entering the third week of our series called As For Me and My House. We're looking at the Ten Commandments and the idea behind us saying As For Me and My House, you can read about this in the bulletin, is to think that, okay, let's take these commandments that God gives us uh, that maybe seem a little ethereal, that seem kind of out there, I don't know really how they apply to my life, and say, okay, well, As For Me and My House, we will have no other gods before us. As for me and my house, we will honor the Sabbath. As for me and my house, we will not covet. And so we begin to see that these commandments that God gives us really begin to form the basis, the foundation for how we want to live out our Christian life practically. And so uh, that's kind of how we're looking at these, uh, these together. Um, We're today at commandment number three. Well, let me recap really quick where we've come from so far. In week one, we covered commandment number three, where God tells us to love him supremely. Commandment number two, where God calls on us to have no rivals in our lives, in our love, in our devotion, except for him and him alone. And now today we're at commandment number three, and as is our custom, I'm going to ask for you to stand. So let's stand together, and we will read commandment number seven together. You don't get a whole lot for your money here. It's just one short little verse, but let's read it together. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7 says, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. You may be seated. Um, it says there, let's just kind of walk through this verse here together and see what what exactly it is that God means by this verse. He says that you must not misuse. Some translations read that you must not take uh, the Lord's name in vain. Why? Because the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses or who takes his name in vain. And so... I got to thinking about this, that this week, and if you were to walk up to the average person on the street and ask them, well, what exactly does it mean not to take God's name in vain? A lot of people would tell you, well, it means don't say cuss words that have God's name in them. Sound about right? And so if people say, well, that's, that's commandment number three, you don't, just don't do that, and then you've honored commandment number three. Well, as I've been studying that this week, um, I've realized that the, what, what's built into this commandment is much more than just don't use cuss words that have God's name in them. Um, what I see here are three very important things that we need to understand if we're going to interpret, if we're going to understand commandment number three correctly, okay? And so I want to share those with you. The first piece of data that we need to know if we're going to understand commandment number three correctly is that since this commandment deals with the name of God, we need to recognize that in Jewish uh, history and even to this day, Jewish people hold a person's name in much higher regard than just a way of referring to or getting the attention of somebody, To Jewish people, they would have thought that a person's name was a reflection of their character, of the intrinsic nature of that person. And the point here is that in the Bible, God's name is more than just a title. It's more than just a way of referring to the person of God. God's name in the Bible is synonymous with everything of who God is, his nature, his attributes, the very quality of who God is. For example, Psalm chapter 124 in verse 8, the psalmist writes, Our help is found in the name of the Lord. And so see here, David believes that he's getting help from the name of God. So there's something in the name of God that is intrinsic to who God is. And he says, that's where our help comes from. And this is why in the Old Testament, Jewish people uh, would not utter, would not speak God's name. They re- viewed it as too too high, too lofty. It was the unspeakable name. They would not say the name of Yahweh. And even to this day, amongst Orthodox Jewish people, they will not utter God's name because they hold it in such high regard because they they regard the name itself as intrinsic to the quality, to the nature of the person it's referring to. And so we need to realize that when we're talking about God's name, we're talking about much more than just the letters G-O-D or the name J-E-S-U-S. It's much more than, uh, than that. It's the very reputation of God himself. The second information that we need uh, to understand if we're going to get commandment number three correct is the use of the Hebrew verb that translates take or they use in NIV misuse. Uh, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God. In vain. And this word take literally means to lift up, to hold up, to carry, to bear up upon your shoulders. That is, I take up the name and I place it, I bear it upon my shoulders. Uh, For example, in a business, Many folks who go through a training, uh, perhaps at Kroger or go through training over at Walmart or who go through training at Home Depot or any business where, where the people that you're hiring are interacting with the public, uh, the folks, when they come in for their, for their training with the HR department, they'll tell them, now, look, you need to understand that, that when you're at the cash register or when you're walking through the aisles and somebody stops you and asks you for help, that you bear the reputation of this company. And that how you treat that person at the cash register or how you treat them as they're asking you questions in the aisle, that that makes a reflection. It forms the basis of the opinion that they then have about our business, about our our um, our company. And so the real issue here in commandment number three is not to make sure that we don't use cuss words that have the name of God in them. The real issue here is how we bear the name of the Lord Jesus is the portrait that we paint, for the people that we run into. So how you interact, how, how you bear up the name of Christ has an impact on the basis upon which people understand who God is. Um, the third and finally, the third piece of data that we need to get right, if we're going to interpret this correctly, is number three, to understand the meaning of that phrase in vain, not to take the name of the Lord our God in vain. This word in the Hebrew means to do something in a worthless way, just flippantly, just sloppily. Uh, to do something in an empty way, in a thoughtless way. And so commandment number three is telling us that we are not to carry God's name in a way that is sloppy, that we're not to carry around God's name in a way that's careless, that we're not to carry around God's name in a way that is thoughtless and worthless. And as we said earlier, this means not using God's name in curse words. Absolutely, that would be a sloppy way of using God's name. But commandment number three is much more far-reaching than just that. As followers of Christ, commandment number three belongs to our every word, our every action, how we carry ourselves, our conduct in public, and that is commandment number three calls us to an all-encompassing lifestyle, and so we must endeavor at all times to live respectably, to live righteously in the eyes of an onlooking and skeptical and critical world. Let me say that for you one time. Commandment number three is demanding not just that we don't use wrong words that have God's name in them, but much more than that, that our entire lives is all-encompassing about who we are, how we behave, our conduct, and that all of this is a reflection upon God. And so because there is an onlooking world that is looking at God critically, that is looking at God skeptically, we bear his name. And so let me summarize. To misuse or to bear the name of God in vain means, number one, to drag God's name and reputation through the mud by means of our lifestyle, by means of our behavior, and our choices in life. It's much more than just a couple of words. Y'all have uh, heard of a guy in the Bible by the name of David, King David. He was a fellow that slew Goliath, the big giant. Uh, He wrote many of the Psalms. He was a, a lover and a warrior, and he was considered, as the Bible says, a man after God's own heart, very righteous man. Uh, David made a mistake, though, in his life, big mistake. He committed adultery with a lady named Bathsheba. And then after he committed adultery with her, she, she became pregnant. He realized he couldn't cover this thing up. And so as a result, he had her husband murdered. And then he brought her into his house as his wife and deceit and all these things took place. Well, when David was confronted about it, David uh, fessed up to it. David admitted that he had made the mistake. He admitted that his sin, he, he asked, be, begged God for forgiveness. And God forgave him. But listen to what Nathan, that wasn't the end of it though. Listen to what Nathan said as he was confronting David. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 14. David, because you did this, you made the enemies of the Lord to show utter contempt. That is, you have given the enemies of God the occasion to look at God in a negative light. Because of what David had done. Because David was God's representative on earth. Right, He was the king of the nation of Israel over whom God reigned. And so here's God's representative on earth, and he's out there doing these things. I mean, deceit, murder, the whole bit. And, uh, and so as a result of that, Nathan said, because of that, the son born to you in Bathsheba will die. Nathan is saying, David, you tarnished God's reputation you tarnished God's name in the eyes of an onlooking world you gave the on, onlooking world who is doubtful and skeptical and critical of this god an opportunity and occasion to blaspheme him to doubt him to reject him and so because of that god um god you know issued out a very difficult and hard punishment on david basically what he did was um, he took, you know, the onlooking world's looking at God, looking at the God of Israel and saying, oh, y'all keep saying how your God is so holy, right? So holy that he would allow his representative here on earth to do these things and do them unpunished. Uh, to just go around, hey, David, you can just act however you want to act. Man, that doesn't sound like a very holy God, does it? And so that's what Nathan is saying to him. that Hey, look, because of what you've done, because you've indulged in deceit and, and adultery and murder, Um, God cannot condone these things. And so God brought a very harsh penalty upon David. Um, It says, the rest of the commandment, uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And we just saw that no matter how much God loved David and God loved David greatly, God exacted a very heavy penalty from David because of what David had done. Okay, well, that's as far as you want to go with our treatment of this text for today. And so that means it's time for us to ask our most important question, a question we're all so looking forward to. What difference does all this make to my life? You say, Gordon, okay, I understand. David did some things that weren't, weren't uh, up on the up and up, and, uh, and God was upset about it. Uh, he had tarnished God's name, his reputation. But, I mean, bring this down to a level. Put some handles on it. I mean, where I live, help, help me understand this, how I can live this out practically in my own life. Well, let me see if I can help with that. Friends, commandment number three tells us something, reveals to us something very important about God. Commandment number three tells us that God is passionate about protecting his name. Commandment number three tells us that God is passionate about protecting his reputation. He said, do not take my name in vain. God is passionate about protecting his reputation on earth in the eyes of an onlooking world. Did you ever think about why God gave victory to David when he went out to fight Goliath? Remember that big giant guy? He was out there uh, just spewing all kinds of hate against Israel and blaspheming against the God of Israel. Well, I'll tell you why God gave him victory. It was to vindicate God's name. That's why God gave David victory. He gave him victory to vindicate God's own reputation in the eyes of the world because the armies of Saul had tarnished God's reputation. They had run from the battlefield. They had shown cowardice in battle. I mean, here's this giant out there, this one guy, and the whole nation of Israel is cowering at at his showing up. Um, And and so the the onlooking world thinks that the God of Israel is incapable of dealing with just this one guy, much less the rest of their armies. And so David stepped up when he saw this, and he went out to face Goliath. And listen to why David said he goes to fight Goliath. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45. You come against me, referring to Goliath, you come against me with the sword and the spear and the javelin, but I come against you in the name, right, in the name of the Lord whom you have defied. Verse 46, this day, he said, the Lord will hand you over to me. So that, why is that? So that the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. God said, David, I'm going to give you victory over this giant. I'm going to redeem my name in front of an on-looking world. That's That's skeptical. That's critical of me. In fact, this is the whole reason that God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt with the ten plagues. This is the whole reason why God destroyed the armies of the Egyptians. This is why God delivered the Israelites through the Red Sea. God says it himself from his own mouth. Exodus chapter 9 and verse 16, he says that he did all these things that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all of the earth. He wanted the peoples of the earth to know who he was and his great power and his holiness and that he was in charge of human history. And all that wrapped up in his name. My Christian friends, we must understand that this is a central part of what makes God God, to never want to see his name tarnished. This passion that he has to never see his reputation besmirched before men. But let me say there's a very practical side to all of this as well. How many times have you heard somebody make a statement that sounds something like this? Well, I knew a Christian once, and they blah, 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 right? I grew up going to church, and you would never believe how those folks in church treat one another. They blah, 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 right? If this is what it means to be a Christian... And I don't want to be one. We've heard people make those kind of statements before. You see, friends, when we bear God's name in vain, when we live sloppy, when we live biblically disobedient lives as his followers, yes, we tarnish God's reputation on earth. Yes, we tarnish God's or we tarnish God's reputation in the eyes of an onlooking and critical world by our unchristlike behavior. We allow people who are skeptical about God to justify their rejection of God. That's what's happening. Friends, the idea of living the Christian life here on earth is serious business. Precious souls who have not yet come into the kingdom are literally hanging in the balance. They're watching us they're watching how we live our lives, and they're wondering whether or not they want to accept and embrace this Jesus Christ. You say, well, they could read their Bible and find out who God is. Friends, many of them won't. Some will. Many of them won't. They're reading your lives, and they're reading mine. So let's summarize. What's the bottom line here? The bottom line is that once we go public with Jesus Christ, once we let our family and our friends and our co-workers and our neighbors know once we go down into the water and make public this decision that we have made for Christ, whether we like it or not, in the eyes of an onlooking world, we are bearers of God's name. Whether we like it or not, from that point on, we have become 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, ambassadors of Christ. And the only issue from that point on, friends, is are we going to be a good ambassador Or are we going to be a lousy ambassador? That's really where we have to choose. But the reality of it is, we are ambassadors for Christ. People are forming their opinions about Christ and whether or not they want to accept him by watching us. And that's just the reality of it. And as ambassadors for Christ, if we are going to be good ambassadors, we must live in a distinctive Way. The Bible calls us to this. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. Listen to what Paul has to say about living a distinctive life. He says, I tell you this, writing to the Christians in Ephesus, I insist upon it in the Lord. It says, I insist upon this, that you must no longer live as Gentiles, that is, as the unbelievers do. In this case, contextually, the Gentiles were the unbelievers, don't no longer live as they do. Friends, this calls for a complete redefinition of our value system this calls for a complete redefinition of our standards of behavior this calls for a complete redefinition of our priorities in life all of them being brought into line with into conformity with the truth and with the teachings of God's written word and as ambassadors for Christ it is not sufficient enough for us just to know what's in this book it's not sufficient enough just to know God's truths we have to, with the help of the Holy Spirit, obey these teachings. We have to aspire to bring every area of our lives into conformity with the teachings of the written Word of God. My Christian friends, if we want to bear the name of Jesus in the front of an onlooking world and do it with honor, if we want to be good ambassadors for Christ in our schools, good ambassadors for Christ in our workplaces, then this is how we must live. This is what we must, must Aspire toward now, when it comes to the issue, this issue that we're talking about here, about being ambassadors for Christ, it is my assessment. y'all with me? Hello. That's some good preaching, by the way. I don't know <laughs> myself, but in any case, when it comes to this issue of being an ambassador for Christ, it is my assessment of the modern evangelical world that we have a sickness within us that is at epidemic proportions. It is my assessment of the modern evangelical world that there is a disease that is rampant within our churches. We have modern evangelical churches today that are full of people who profess to be followers of Christ, but these people invest little to no effort trying to discover what it means to live out a biblical worldview, to live according to what the scriptures teach. And they spend little to no effort trying to figure out how to live it out in their everyday life. Friends, this is a serious, serious problem. An onlooking world that is critical and is skeptical of Christ and of his church is reading our lives and discerning whether or not they want to follow him. This is a serious problem and it demands a serious uh, response from us. It is this very thing that has virtually destroyed our credibility with the non-believing world. For example, we have Christian business people who wear their faith on their sleeve, who let people know that they go to church and let people know that they love the Lord, and then these same people go out and act in ways that even a non-believing world looks at and is appalled at how these Christian so-called Christian businessmen are acting. And they're wondering, well, I don't want to have anything to do with that, Jesus. We have Christian athletes and Christian movie stars who publicly proclaim their love for God. And then they go out and utterly disgrace Christ with their actions and their words. We have Christian pastors and evangelists across this country who have done things to so tarnish the reputation of Jesus Christ in America that unless Jesus Christ himself were to come back and perform some miracles right in front of all of our eyes, I don't think that that credibility gap's ever going to be won back in the eyes of much of America. We have for the last many decades seen politicians who claim the name of Christ, both Democrat and Republican alike, who vote for things that cause hell to rejoice and heaven to shudder. Not to mention their power mongering. Not to mention their corruption, lying, and political chicanery and unbridled arrogance. Now, before we sit here as Hebrew Christian church and say, yep, yeah, mm-hmm, that's right, I see those folks out there. I know how they do, right? Before we do that, <clears throat> we have people in this church who go out and live lives that are utterly displeasing to God. Us, right here. We have unmarried people in this church who are sexually active in direct disobedience to the Word of God. We have married people in this church who are committing adultery, on a weekly basis with their computer screen and with Netflix and everything else that's being pumped into their homes. We have men in this church who have potty mouths uh, that, that share lewd jokes around the workplace that have, say have lewd mouths all the time everywhere they go, which is in direct contradiction to the Word of God. We have women in this church who go out in public wearing the skimpiest clothes that they can find in direct contradiction to the Word of God, which teaches modesty. Friends, if we want to be good ambassadors for Jesus Christ, then we have to subjugate every area of our lives to him and to the written word of God. We have to seek to live the way God tells us to live, not the way that we want to live, or else we risk disgracing Christ. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. Let me say that commandment number three is not about you being perfect or me being perfect. It's about every one of us who names the name of Christ <clears throat> to turn to him and allow him to be in charge of our lives. Friends, we have people in this church who cheat. We have people in this church who scheme against others. We have people in this church who lie and who cheat on schoolwork and in their, in their schools. I know that the logic of self-justification says, well, Gordon, I mean, you got to understand that that's church stuff that you're talking about there. And when I'm at church on Sunday, you know, I get into conformity. But on Monday morning, I mean, it's a dog-eat-dog world out there, right? Business is business, and in order for me to thrive and survive in that world, I've got to act this way. Well, friends, I've got news for you. God cannot be compartmentalized. We don't worship God and live for God on Sundays and live like everything else the rest of the week. It just doesn't work that way. God says he has to be involved in each and every part of our lives. Friends, we have people in this church who exhibit unforgiveness and bitter attitudes and can be just downright nasty. And all of this is in direct contradiction to the Word of God. So don't we see, friends, that when we profess Jesus Christ and live like this, we become the very people that an onlooking world says, Well, I knew a Christian once. If that's what it means to be a Christian, then. I don't want to be one. Friends, we do all this to the disgrace of Jesus Christ. You say, well, Gordon, excuse me. (laughs) I mean, you sure are up there on your high horse this morning riding high, aren't you? I'm sorry I'm not as perfect as you are, right? (laughs) Well, friends, it's not about being perfect. And I'm certainly far from perfect. Just ask my wife. Right? Amen? Yeah. She nodding her head. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Friends, if we want to be good ambassadors for Christ, we have to subjugate each and every area of our lives to him. Allow nothing to be unexposed to the Holy Spirit. We have to have a passion in our lives to live in such a way that we never bring disgrace to the name of Jesus and friends, the only way for us to accomplish this is for us to be biblically obedient in our lives. It is just that simple. So let me conclude by saying today that I want to ask you a question. If you name the name of Christ, do you have a passion to try to act in a way that will be a credit to Jesus? If you claim the name of Christ, do you have a passion to, to, to do nothing that will tarnish the reputation of Jesus to an onlooking world. And this passion, friends, is a, a higher passion than anything else that you feel like doing. Friends, this is the kind of passion that commandment number three is calling us to, to have a passion to, to represent Christ, to represent the God of the Bible, the God of the universe in a way that does not tarnish his reputation or his name. And let me say in closing that it is a high and holy calling. I get that. I mean, it's heavy stuff. We're digging the plow deep today. I understand that. But this is a high and holy calling that God gives us to go out from this place and to represent Him to an onlooking world. That's a big deal, a really big deal. And so I call on you as a member of this church to be zealous for this passion above every other. Passion in your life. And so, for some of us, that means we need to make some changes. It means we need to make some changes to our behavior. That means we need to make some changes to our priorities. It means that we need to repent. And some of the words that come out of our mouth at work and at home need to change. That's what that means. And so, the question is do you love Jesus enough? Do you love his reputation enough that you're willing to repent? and change your behavior with his help, with his help. Let me say this in closing, that if you claim the name of Christ and you're not willing to make those changes, could you do us a favor? Don't tell people that you're a Christian. Don't tell people that you're a follower of Christ. Because when you go out and you live that way and you say, hey, I'm a Christian. An onlooking looking world just simply dismisses Jesus altogether. Friends, I want a church that's full of people who are passionate about biblical obedience. I want a church that's full of people who are passionate about bearing the name of Jesus with honor. And friends, we're never going to be perfect. We already said that. We already, we already acknowledge that. And if you and I get it wrong, as sometimes we all do, we all get it wrong from time to time, Part of protecting the reputation of Christ is to go back like David did, admit that what we did was wrong, humble ourselves, repent, make things right if we need to make things right, and redeem the mistake. And that's a difficult thing for us to do. Perhaps there's some people that we need to go to and say, hey, look, I misrepresented the God that I serve. I, I'm sorry for the things that I said. I'm sorry for the things that happened. This is a hard saying. It's a hard teaching, but friends, if we're going to be faithful to represent the name of God to an onlooking critical world, we have to be passionate about biblical obedience. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, thank you for talking to us from your word today, and this is a tough teaching, Lord. It scratches against all of us, Lord. It digs deep into our souls, into our hearts, into where we're living. And, Lord, sometimes we just need to have that plow run deep through our spirit, through our soul, to turn over the fallow ground, Lord. We ask through your Holy Spirit today that you would point out some areas, some things where we are not walking in compliance, we are not walking in obedience, Lord, where we are hurting, tarnishing your reputation in the eyes of an onlooking world. Lord, may we bring those things into submission to you, not by our own might, not by our own strength, but Lord, by placing those areas at the foot of your cross and saying, Jesus, I need you to help me to have victory over this, over that, because the stakes are so high. Lord, we ask that you would stir in our hearts that we would submit these areas to you in this quiet moment of communion, we pray. In Christ's holy name, amen.